Welcome to the Porsche Club Insider, your one stop for all things Porsche and PCA. Here's your host, Vu Gwyn, and the Insider Crew. Hey, 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 here we are, episode 26, and we're still recovering from Monterey. I'm recovered. You're recovered? Yeah. I'm still backlogged. How about you, Damon? Well, uh, I got back into um, Baltimore at about 2 a.m. last night after picking up a brand new Miata with my girlfriend. Oh, that's right. You had that road yeah. trip. Yeah, so I'm kind of tired, but yeah. um, no more Monterey tiredness. All right, so we're back uh, at National Office. I'm here with Manny Albin, our technical director, Rob Sass, Porsche Panorama editor. He's online here with us. Uh, and, of course, Damon, digital media coordinator, and Robert Forsyth, behind the scenes, making every, everything work. I wanted to thank a few folks uh, that left some comments on YouTube, Sam, Gurney Eagle 500, Alan Hall, and I want to especially thanks Ron Bauer for his opinion on In-N-Out fries. <laughs> we were right. Yes. You guys have a bad taste. <laughs> no one else was in favor of In-N-Out fries except Damon. Yeah, they just don't like fresh fries. <laughs> the guy with the 30-inch waist is trying to be an expert on food. <laughs> so there, there was also um, a few other comments from, uh, I think it's Elevation 911 and uh, Timothy Arrington and another gentleman, I think B.R. Lau. They were talking about uh, sort of the YouTube... Um, I guess, opinion of Monterey Car Week. And I thought it was interesting because it seemed like they were saying YouTube was sort of bashing Monterey Car Week or saying negative things about it. Uh, you got to remember these, uh, a lot of people put uh, videos on YouTube are looking for uh, views. So they're going to put outlandish titles. And I saw one that said, uh, uh, Monterey police hate uh, car people. And it was some guy doing a really douchey thing getting pulled over yeah i mean yeah, uh, monterey police hate obnoxious car yes. people yeah <laughs> if you're do if you're doing stupid things and speeding then you should get pulled over yeah. like but i've how many years have we've gone to monterey car week and i tell you what it is a bucket list event for any car enthusiast and if you're not doing dumb things then there's there's nothing to be worried about uh the town of Monterey. Yes, it is. One thing is, is it can be expensive. Finding a place to stay, especially if you want to stay nearby, it can be expensive. But other than that, it's it's an amazing week. Yeah, yeah the normally ninety dollar a night roadway in on Munros uh, Street is like three hundred and fifty a night, but that's Monterey. Yeah, but you have options. If you want a lesser expensive experience, you can stay further out and say, right. uh, where do we say? We stayed in Aptos, Aptos which was about yeah. too far away. Santa Cruz County. It was far. It was a nice location, but it was far. Uh, we've stayed in Salinas, right? Salinas is not usually where we stay at because that's yeah. only like 10 minutes in. We're in yeah, uh, they have Monterey. Standard Hampton Inns and stuff. But you, if you haven't gone to Monterey Car Week, you definitely need to do it at least once. Manny, Salinas is not 10 minutes from downtown Monterey. That's 10 minutes. It gets us to our location. I think I'm rubbing <laughs> oh, up on you. Yeah, our location <laughs> was not in downtown Monterey. So, so I've been known to underestimate how far things are. And I would say um, Salinas is about 20 minutes at least it's, from downtown. That's pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Aptos is Anyways, far away. There, there are options to be able to, to do it many ways um you know keep keep it as a budget or you could go five star and stay right downtown where we stayed at this time uh, i fell asleep twice woke up and we still weren't there <laughs> yeah my co-pilot uh so what did we do since our last call you first uh manny uh, i went to uh hunt valley cars and coffee uh which was uh, it's amazing how many cars there are in the baltimore uh maryland uh area because uh you had your big event and uh hunt valley uh cars and coffee was packed as well yeah shout um, out shout out to will who's been doing this how long has he been doing hunt valley oh, it's over 10 years yeah it's gotta be it's always it's it's the bar it's amazing amount of cars you're talking about 400 500 cars at least and every he, weekend and there's you know there's always a jerk that uh decides to uh do a burnout like 
bunch oh. of car guys that have never seen a burnout before. Right. Or rev their engine, you know, for no, yeah. absolutely no reason. That's like, sad. I understand if you have a lightweight flywheel and you need to kind of rev things to keep things going, but if you don't need to. No, this fly. isn't a lightweight flywheel. This is a, <laughs> I have a lightweight flywheel. Light but flywheel. your car doesn't even need it. Yeah. <laughs> so the next day, uh, Sunday, we had the, uh, my region's uh, crab feast. So obviously Baltimore is known for its crabs. So you can always tell the uh, Marylanders in the group because they're eating the crabs and the non-Marylanders are uh, eating the shrimp or the hamburgers or hot dogs. All right. So here's where we're going to have to have a little food discussion. I know you guys tuned in to listen to Porsche stuff, but I will say, even though I'm a Marylander, I go for the steamed shrimp because your level of But you're not a Marylander. Level of effort to reward ratio is much better with those gigantic steam shrimp that they usually get. But you're not a Marylander. Oh, how dare you? You were born in Texas. Yeah. And then from there, where'd you go? All over the place. But yeah. I've been here since 1987. <laughs> so I consider myself a Marylander. Last, Anyways, time, I, last time I ate a crab, I, I bled. So I haven't <laughs> done that again. Was crab it alive cakes. or was it dead? <laughs> No, no, it just, you know, that they've got their little uh, spines or pricks, and it pricked my thumb when I was trying to open it up. So, oh, crab again. cakes for me. That's why you see Marylanders eating crabs and yes. out-of-staters uh, eating the shrimp. And, and, and also at the crab feast, everyone, they assign you based on your last name to bring a side, and that table alone could fill you up, all the amazing oh, yeah, side dishes yeah. that they bring. So we always do a, uh, Bob Gutier and I, uh, we did this, started doing this over 15 years ago, a uh, not-so-serious car show. So if your car is parked in the lot, uh, you're going to be judged. Whether or not you want to be judged. It's nothing like a uh, concourse. We just look for uh, uh, funny stuff on a car or whatever. Um, But there was uh, uh, somebody who had 12 grill badges on a Boxster. Wow. A Boxster does not have a grill. So where did they put them all? (laughs) Like on behind the headrest? He manufactured this plexiglass. Uh, that he put like four on the license plate. He had some on the headrest. The headrest yeah. was funny because it had uh, the studs were still. Uh, oh no! It looked like an Iron Maiden. If he were to move a seat back, it would oh. go right through. Um, he had on the some on the front. Uh, as far as creativity to where to put them, he gets an A plus. Uh, we gave him the uh, I forgot what it was called. Like uh, one girl badge is enough award. <laughs> this other one, a guy was backing into the spot and he wouldn't listen to his wife. And he left at Caddy yeah. Wampus. Yeah. He gave him the, uh, I should have listened to my wife when I was parking award. That's awesome. Uh, and on and on it went. It was just funny, uh, tongue in cheek. Uh, but you got a nice, uh, prize for, uh, putting us up with us making fun of your car. You know, I remember when my grandma used to say Caddy Wampus. That's a word I haven't heard in a long time. I'm not sure time. what it means, but that's what Bob Peter <laughs> called it. So that's stuck in my Caddy head. Caddy Wampus. How about you, Rob? Uh, not a hell of a lot. Just trying to diagnose uh, AC problem on my 996. Uh, gauge shows that it's full. The compressor is cycling on, but it is kind of cool, not cold. So oh, I got to get further into that. Huh. Yeah, usually 996 air conditioning is it's freezing. Like a Japan- yeah, it's freezing cold. It's like a Japanese yeah. Denso system. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sure it's something easy. I hope so. And so you went and picked up the Miata. Yeah, so uh, my girlfriend put in an order for a brand new uh, 2022 Miata Club, which is the model that has the limited slip, uh, the Bilstein shocks, and um, a special trim that makes yeah. the car look a little bit better, or aero maybe. And uh, we picked it up in Jacksonville, so we stayed at the Aloft, which oh, okay. is the hotel we, we so stayed flew at down. Works. We flew down, drove uh-huh. back up. Nice. So, yeah, I got to drive that for probably three, 400 miles. So and is it a Cayman killer? It's a downy yeah. Cayman killer? You, it's it, For one, it's totally stock, and the, the Miatas I'm running against are you know lowered, and they have the same mods that I do on my Cayman. Uh, but I can tell that the Miata, it's about as fast. It doesn't feel as torquey. But third gear at about 6,500 RPM is like 71, 72 miles an hour. I reach 70 in second gear in my car. 
So the balance, you know, between gearing and power, power to weight, I can see why it, why they beat me, and mm-hmm. they're they're so light. Yeah. Um, not to mention the drivers as well, but uh, love the car. It feels a lot like a Porsche in how it feels. It's very fluid, um, easy to drive, stable, light on its feet, great brake pedal. Um, yeah, I can see why why they're quick. Nice. No, Miatas are are amazing cars, fun cars, good. A lot of car for the money, um, but to kind of transition into what I did this weekend, um, you were talking about how at every car show there's this one person or maybe two people that rev their cars, and of course, you know, you don't need to. You're not going to impress us, but we had this one Miata that we actually walked up to him and said, "Hey, if you don't mind, just keep, you know, we don't need to, you know, keep, keep your exhaust down." He had right? aftermarket exhaust, right? Yeah, of course, he had aftermarket. So we told him, right? And like he moved ten feet and started to do the same thing, so uh, we called him out on it on social media. <laughs> Don't come back. I, I guess, uh, and we have someone in our office with an exhaust like this, but he must think that it sounds really great. But the yeah, rest but of the world thinks it sounds like crap. He, it does sound good. It's just it, loud. No, it does not sound good. Connor's, like, we're talking Connor's about Connor's exhaust. Connor's right? exhaust. Yes. Yeah, no, no. No, that does not sound like a refined Simply exhaust. Simply disconnecting your, your exhaust doesn't make it sound good. I hope I'm not hurting your feelings, Connor. But uh, his is oh, what? An M2 competition? No, not competition. It was an M2. He wishes it was a competition. Yeah, with an uncorked exhaust. It's just loud. Um, anyway, so I, I, as Manny mentioned, I was at uh, Mike EML's Cruisin, probably the largest show they've had to date. Um, we had a Bugatti Veyron, which was pretty cool. And a whole host of other cars. But my real car thing that I did was, um, so I drove my little 89 Suzuki carry to the show. And after I park it, I noticed dripping of fuel, which is never a good thing. And for those of you that own older cars, you always, always take a look around your car after you park it just to see if there's anything dripping. In this case, it was a fuel line. And, um, what's great about these older cars is I, you know, it was just a small leak, but I could tell when I started it, it uh, took a little bit longer to start because maybe it got some air in the fuel lines, but got it home and then, uh, just went to the hardware store and bought like a foot worth of fuel line and pulled off the old one, put on the new one, fired it up and good to go. It's nice when you can spend, I think $3 and 60 cents and repair your vehicle. You buy it at the hardware store or the, uh. At the hardware store, and they have uh, they have fuel lines. It's fuel fuel grade. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep. So we have a a mom and pops. It's called Kendall Hardware down the street. Truly down the street. Um, Nothing's uh, down the street from your house. <laughs> I've been to your house. <laughs> it is down the street, but they have, down the interstate. I mean, down the street after you get to the main stretch. Yeah. So so this is Kendall Hardware, and it's a mom and pop hardware store that has everything that you need and they're so nice so knowledgeable like they have this whole row of just fasteners and you can get metric and i love mom and pop hardware stores hopefully you guys have one uh around you because when i go to like the big box stores like um what was that lowe's and home depot i just get lost and there's no one to help and then you pull the bins and half of them are empty the the local hardware store has everything they don't have like big stuff like a you know because i'm sure they don't want to carry all the the big inventory cost stuff but you know things that i need like fuel lined and fasteners and stuff like that they're cool anyways all right uh let's see oh do we want to talk about the cool car we recently did a video over at at speed motorsports yeah 914 6 gt 1970 i didn't realize how very different that car is from a 914.6 it was amazing to see uh and when we get the video out you'll see how much porsche tried to lower the weight in this car uh, using balsa wood on the uh front and rear trunks uh where there would be metal um it was uh, uh i mean the, the 914 in itself is a light car it's mm-hmm. around uh let's say 2100 pounds a four-cylinder um, and if you get the early ones, they didn't have the side door bar protection. So that was always a desirable uh, door to get if you were trying to make a lightweight car. Um, 
but yeah, they uh, they basically went racing with the uh, 914 as soon as it was built. They right. built the car knowing that they would race. So in 1970, when the car came out, uh, Porsche went to Le Mans. They went to Nürburgring, and they did very well with this uh, this mid-engine 914. Yeah, it's pretty. Do I, do I remember uh, Bob saying it's a two-liter? Flat yep, six? it was a. So it came uh, with a flat. Uh, well, the 914.6 came with a uh, 911T, mm-hmm. 110 horsepower uh, uh, flat six. The uh, 914.6 GT still two liter, but it had 908 parts and was uh, like a hundred more horsepower. Or yeah, almost yeah. double the horsepower. It's like yeah. Carrera RS 2.7 power, but with a yep. lot less displacement. Yep. Yeah, and you just every corner of that car, you could tell. It has race intentions. It was it was very funny to see, with regards to the headlights, how um, if you have a nine fourteen, when you open the front the frunk, uh, you always see the big headlight motors there. And for weight savings on this car, it didn't have the headlight motors, and it just really had a um, a pull cable to unlatch. Um, what little, do you call it? little actuator the little, size of a. Uh... Uh, pneumatic, pneumatic actuators yeah. right just like you have on the back of a hatch so when you close it it kind of compressed it and when you pulled the cable the pneumatic ram or whatever just popped it up and then to close it the only way to close it is actually push it by hand very so, manual so at the pit stop yeah when you're changing tires or something i guess i guess <laughs> but i mean everything about it was for racing and and as manny said they were using that platform or preparing that platform at the same time they're getting ready to unveil the street version so they are... i found it interesting that it was a uh, fuchs up front but then they used mini lights uh, mini lights, mini lights in the back yeah because yeah, they didn't have the right size i guess back then they weren't making the, the wider fuchs at the time mm-hmm. very cool all right so i know we have a lot to catch up on with regards to the monterey auctions but let's do the two news pieces before we go into the auctions okay how's that all right so who wants to talk about i mean we've been talking about ipo for the past couple of episodes and it's like a drama series that keeps on going oh it's up to 80 some million now um what's it it had a much lower number initially that they thought porsche was worth but now they're saying that uh, it may turn out that Porsche is worth more than all of Volkswagen. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, I, I can't imagine this is a good thing for the family because the family is going to want to buy a lot of shares. Right. And, of course, this makes it more expensive to buy a lot of shares as the valuation is that high. Um, but they're going along with it. You know, There's no indication they're going to hold this, uh, this up. And I think it's the fourth quarter when this uh, would occur. So. I mean, if uh, if being in the news helps with uh, your preparations for an IPO, dropping something like the GT3 RS, man, I'm sure that did good things for it. Yeah. But then now there's also Formula One, right? Where yeah. there was a, a nut or a, a wrench in the spokes a little bit. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. So it's not a done deal with Red Bull. No, not not as far as the engine supplying. Yeah. yeah. Now you have Audi who uh, announced, um, well, Sauber announced that they will end their partnership with uh, Alfa Romeo uh, right around the time that Audi would come in. And that would be, uh, you know, basically Sauber becomes Audi. Mm-hmm. And it's of an Audi power plant. That's what's really interesting is that uh, uh, Porsche is going to build their own power plant. And they now they're saying they're not even going to share the um, technology. Well, Red Bull for a long time, I think it was, what, a year or two ago, announced that they were um, going to make their own engines or power units, and they've already hired hundreds of engineers and people to work on it, going to be hiring more. So where does Porsche fit in? So when you does know, it become good. a Porsche engine? Yeah, it would just be a sticker on the Yeah, I can't imagine Porsche would do that. Yeah. At the engineering company, that's what they are, is an engineering company, Yeah, to stick... Uh, you know, like Damon said, stick their uh, name on the valve cover, but it's not their designed engine. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that either. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, that's hmm. going to be crazy to see Audi in F1. I mean, is that that's the first time since the 1930s, right? Yeah, I'm not sure, but they're out of endurance racing because of F1. Yeah, they, they announced yeah. pulling out of LMDH. So they're all in. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, Rob. 
Yeah, no, we I know, think it is. We'd have had a 30s ended up with Audi in Germany. Yeah. Yeah, it was Auto Union then, but yeah, I think it was the 1930s. That's mm. kind of cool. All right, so we've got a list of cars to take a look at from our predictions earlier, but uh, maybe Rob, just kind of share with us what your thoughts, you know, the market and such after hanging out in Monterey for a week. Well, overall, I mean, it was pretty crazy. It was 470, almost $470 million. And, and, uh, you know, there are at least five or six countries with GDP smaller than that. So that's a lot of money. Is that, is that a record? For it is yeah it's a record by you know probably 60 million dollars something like that so Whoa. um yeah it's uh it's it's pretty crazy um yeah uh there were about uh, 102 porsches on offer total 78 of those sold so the sell-through rate for porsche was about 76 percent which is pretty good um, you know, one of the key takeaways from it, though, is that the Porsche market is not a monolith. You know, there were hot spots, there were cooler spots. By and large, the, the you know, the, the ultra high net worth people seem to step up and there's a lot of interest in the higher priced lots. Um, uh, 33 out of those 78 cars sold for within their pre-sale estimate. So 43% sold for within the, the, the estimated range. 28 out of 78 exceeded the estimated range, about 36%, and only 17 out of the 78 sold sold for below the pre-sale estimates, that's 21%. But the more that you dig down, the more that, you know, that there looks like there might be, you know, some cracks or some softening in the market. 24 of, of those 33 cars that sold for within estimate, 72% of them sold at the low end of the pre-sale estimate. Hmm. Only nine out of the 33 or 28% sold at the high end of the estimate. Um, 64% of the cars fell into the categories of either below estimate, the low end of the estimate, or no sale. So, you know, the more you dig, the more interesting it gets. But, you know, overall, a lot of money changed hands. Um, you know, the pricier cars did pretty well. Um, we saw Carrera GTs and 918 Spiders sell really well. Later model cars, by and large, seem to do better. 356s and early 911 prices seem pretty stable. And in fact, there were two uh, pre-A 356s that were no sales. So uh, not as much interest in those cars this time around. Uh, speedsters continue to be a bright spot in 356s. Nice speedsters do well. A couple of them sold for well above their, their pre-sale estimates. So that's... That's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, you know, it wasn't the, the big crash that some people were thinking was going to happen. Uh, by and large, I think the, the high net worth people look at collectible cars as pretty good hedges against inflation. So uh, they didn't seem to have any problem buying last week in Monterey. So you mentioned there's a, a certain percentage of cars that sold at the low end of the estimate. Even at the low end of the estimate, is it because the estimate was high or the prices that at the low estimate was still more than previous years? Well, I think that you can make the argument that uh, because of the state of the market right now, the presale estimates were, you know, were a little bit ambitious. Yeah. Um it's hard to say with a market that changes on a daily basis, you know, it must be really difficult. I mean, they set those estimates, you know, when the catalogs were printed uh, about a month ago. So, um, but yeah, some of it could be chalked off to that. Yeah. So were there any particular Porsches to you that were one, a shocker and then two, like an amazing buy? Well, we should probably get to the, uh, you know, we should get to the list, but you know, as far as amazing buys go, the cheapest car, of the of the sale was at Meekum. It was a ninety, it was, I believe, it was a ninety two, uh, nine sixty eight cab with a six speed in pretty nice colors, cobalt blue and tan. Mm. Um, overall, not a bad looking car. I can get a cup twos on it. Sold for twelve thousand dollars. What? So that's a great that was deal. A, that was a screaming deal. That a six speed or a Tiptronic? No, it was a six, six speed. speed. Wow. That's yeah, a I smoking mean, deal. That would have been a smoking deal for a tip. How did like you not? How did you not buy it? <laughs> you, you know, I there. just 
you know what? I suspect it, it went for what, it, you know, for $12,000 because, you know, in addition to myself, a lot of other people probably weren't there. It might have been an early car oh, or man. a late in the Someone afternoon scored. car. I, I, uh, I don't know. But, yeah, somebody got a great deal on that. I, I love watching me come. Uh, I'm not, what was their first day, Thursday or Friday? Uh, Thursday, I believe. Yeah, so Thursday, obviously, you start with the uh, less expensive cars. Mm. And when I watch it on TV, I like watching that day because that's the cars I can afford. Mm-hmm. And not just Porsche, but all the other makes you're like, Hmm, I, yeah. I might have bid on that one because it's a pretty good price. Wow. So that's uh, that's encouraging that uh, they're still affordable Porsches. Not everything is a uh, high five figure or low six figure car. Wow, that's well. Cool. I mean, let's face it though. I mean, the number of of Porsches under. I mean, I can tell you. I can pull it up. I can tell you exactly how many cars sold for under uh, fifty. It is. One, two, three, four, five, six cars the whole week sold for under fifty thousand dollars. So that is not exactly a bounty of cheap Porsches. So curious, um, I notice you're looking at a screen. Is that some sort of official report you get from someone, How, or did, is that something you tallied up yourself? No, that was actually uh, our friends at Haggerty were kind enough to share a giant Excel sheet of of all the Porsche sales. So oh, that's, that's cool. what I was looking at. Yeah. Wow. All right. So I know probably the one that wowed you is probably on the list that we're going to review. So do you want to just go down the list of let's the cars? Let's just jump into the list. Yeah. So let's, uh, the first one is the 997 Carrera from Gooding. Right. Ooh, that was a, that is a beautiful car. It is a very pretty car. I mean, we talked about this earlier. PTS 997s are pretty rare. This was a oh, painted so, sample. But, sorry, not, blue. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you because I do remember, like, we say 997 and we understand what that, and I believe one of our listeners before said, could you just be a little bit more specific because they may not know what 997 is, so exactly what year 911 this is? Uh, this was a 2008. 2008, so, 911 with the yeah, Aero so Kit. Th- right. So it's the first generation, last year the first generation of the 997 with a factory Aero Kit, which is also, you know, just... I don't have the production numbers in front of me, but just anecdotally speaking, AeroKit 997s seem to be a lot more rare than AeroKit 996s. I, I agree with that. You see the yeah. Taco Wing 996 AeroKits a lot, uh, but it's really rare to see one of these. In fact, I would look at this, and my first thought is GT3. GT, yeah, exactly. It's a exactly. So there's the look of that, except you know the the lobster fork wheels, you know, obviously. Uh, but it was an S. You know, it had 33,000 miles on it. Uh, if this car didn't have the aero kit and didn't have the very pretty paint to sample Mexico blue paint, I don't know. I mean, this might be a $50,000 car, 55, something like that. And what did it hammer at? I think with the buyer's premium, it sold for $140,000. Oh my goodness. Wow. Wow. Color and aero kit. Right. And sports seats. Yeah. Yeah. It's nicely optioned. That's yeah, this is the double. last year of the IMS, if you will, right problem cars. Yeah. Even though it was a one percent failure rate at this point, it's right? Still, but uh, I mean, poor scoring is also a concern with with uh, the S cars too. So, um, you know, it's not a dot two car. Uh, this was a lot of money. It's a it's got a ton of eyeball. But, about, yeah. yeah, but this is money that still might buy a two thousand seven GT three. But that, but Mexico blue though. I mean, that just. <laughs> I just said I mean, this is GT three money, and Vu's like, but Mexico blue. You're I like know a Mexico, moth blue, and a Mexico blue does that to you. It doesn't matter what car it's on. It's just wow. I'll take a GT three. Yeah, it's a right. I think a GT three in brown. I don't care. You're not yeah. too far off of a new GT three if without markup at that price either. Yeah. Yeah, huh. but you know it's it's form it was formerly property of a, a very famous uh, 993 collector, and right, you know I'm sure right. he also had a Riviera Blue 993. But the other thing is too, with 997s, and and we've talked about this before. It, going forward, these are probably going to be viewed as the 993s of the water cooled cars. You know, they're very pretty. The size is right. Um, you know, particularly with the dot two cars, they didn't make that many of them because they came out at the beginning of the Great Recession. So, you know, these could be, you know, pretty sought after cars down the road. But 
still, you know, 140 seems like all the money for this uh, in 2022. Mm. Wow. All right, next up we have a 1989 911 Carrera Club Sport in a very unique mm. color. And uh, how did it do? It sold for just about in the middle of its pre-sale estimate. I think it was what four hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars with the uh, um, yeah with the buyer's premium, Wait, and it had much? a pre-sale how estimate four sixty-seven, wasn't it? Four hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars. Yeah, the pre-sale estimate was between four and five hundred, so it kind of oh. you know went down the middle. Yeah, Man. you know, we talked about this car a little bit, I think, before the podcast last week. It's a it's a rest-of-the-world car. You can see it's got the side reflector on it. Most of these cars tended to be white or black, right, Manny? Correct. This one is paint-to-sample, um, Lindgren, you know, kind of a light metallic green, which makes it very unique. But still, this is this is a lot of, lot of money for... A car that the average person is going to mistake for, you know, just another G-Body 911. So, I'm guessing because of how rare and what it is, it's probably a solid buy in terms of an investment. But anyone here, if you had that amount of money, would you be buying that car or would you be buying something else? Something I'd else. be buying several something else. Several something else, right? Yeah. But but we, we we play in a different world than yeah. right. the person that's buying this car. This right. And if you've just got to yeah complete the set of of rare and interesting G body cars, you yeah. know this is it. Oh, so it does have the stripes. It does. It has the decal fender. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because we didn't see that last time. Yep. Wow, oh, man. But this was it. There was no RS. Yeah. You know, it was a turbo. Um, so. This was the uh, sportier, like Rob said, G uh, G body. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, if 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 I owned, you know, an MFI Carrera, three liter Carrera, an early turbo or something, yeah, I'd probably want this car to complete the set, right? Yeah, I mean, to to the casual viewer, non enthusiast, they wouldn't see how cool. specials. But if you look at the details of this car, and you are an enthusiast, you start picking it out, and you go, oh yeah, this car is quite special. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, the seats are cool. They almost kind of look a little bit like, um, you know, a similar pattern to a 940, an 88 944 Turbo S. You know, or even silver a 959. Yeah. Look, yeah. The bolsters. Yeah. So those are pretty cool. I mean, it, it's unique. It's it's really cool. Um, I might have knocked the corrosion off the fan housing. If no, I'm just yeah. <laughs> not that I'm going to be picky. <laughs> but, yeah, so that car did well. So a car that um, I know locally we talked a lot about was this 1995 928 at RM Sotheby's that right. man, just blew the roof off of the house. And I, you know, right. I knew it would do well. It's a gorgeous car, beautiful color. You know, it looks to be a super clean example. But the price that it brought, uh, I would have never guessed that. Yeah, I mean, I think the high end of the pre-sale estimate on this car was two hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, and I think the all-in price of it was four hundred and six thousand dollars. That's wow. insane. So if you insane. knock out the the risky business nine twenty-eight, you know, which sold for what it sold for because of the movie provenance, yeah, I think this is a world record for nine twenty-eight. So it, it was just a stunning sale. Nine twenty-eight owners worldwide are probably cheering. And Even though it doesn't make their cars worth I, anymore. But, but I can guarantee you there's so many of them that print out this article with the price and share it with their family and go, you see? See what I have? And look at this car. Was... Yeah, it's a little bit nicer, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, had, I, had I known this was going to go for this much, I would have spent more time looking at it. Because I looked at it briefly. and They had it outside in the courtyard mm -hmm. at RM. um but it it wasn't like a Concorde car. The uh, the bolsters had some wear. You know, to me, it looked like a very nice driver, but not museum quality. Right. I mean, it had sixteen thousand miles on it, so it doesn't fall into the category of freakishly low miles. You know, like it was, you know, fifteen hundred or something exactly. like that. So, you know, the car has seen some use, but the fact is, according to the catalog, there are only twenty six manual transmission. GTS is from 95, which was the last year of production. So, 
you know, I guess the market just perceived this to be one of the best ones still available. And, or uh, just it, between two people. Two people <laughs> who, yeah, who had to have it. But it's, uh, you know, might be one of the more stunning results of the of the entire week. You know, mm. there are a lot of cars that sold for a lot more money, but, you know, the expectation was they're going to sell for a lot more money. Uh, this car that, uh, you know, that did... You know, over 200000 more than the low end of the pre-sale estimate it was just, you know, pretty stunning. What gets me is that people are buying these cars because, oh, it has a manual and transmission. It's so rare. But are they actually going to drive drive it and experience that manual transmission? I, I, know, I had this very same conversation this weekend where someone was talking about a Cayenne GTS and they were like, man, I really want a manual Cayenne GTS. And I'm like, have you driven a manual Cayenne GTS? And do you really want to spend $25,000 more over to have the a- world's shortest first gear? <laughs> yeah. And he kind of looked at me funny. I'm like, I say, I'm not knocking it. And I think they are kind of cool, but to me, it's a $25,000 novelty. Yeah, because, I mean, whoever bought that 928 could probably just buy an automatic, have the same car looks-wise, and he would never know the difference because is he going to drive it? There's probably a not why much. only six were made, because the majority right. of customers want it automatic. It was a yeah. touring car. Yeah. Yeah, Interesting. yeah I don't know. You guys are trying world. to apply logic. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's an could, it's an emotional could, purchase, yeah. Yeah. right? You could you could still buy a sixty five thousand mile nine twenty eight GTS with an automatic for probably seventy thousand dollars right now, um, you know. But it's it's apples and oranges, you know. The yep. person, two hey. people in the room, had to have one of the twenty six manual ninety five GTSs. A buyer and wants away with it. what a buyer wants. Right. So let's move on to the next car, which I think we all agreed was, as Manny put, GOAT, greatest of all time. This 2011 911 GT3 4-liter. That was a stunning car. Right. Uh, you know, I this is a case where I thought the pre-sale estimate was, was pretty light. You know, I think it was uh, like 625 to 650 or something, you know, something in that range. It was in the 600s. Mm-hmm. And the car sold all in for $885,000. Wow. And, you know, the crazy thing is, at that price, I think the car was really well bought. These are absolutely destined to be million-dollar cars one day. And and I suspect that, you know, that that day is closer than any of us think. Most of these cars, from what I understand, were, were either black with silver or white with silver. Yeah, the, right. the, the vast yeah. majority of them. There were a few PTS cars made. Um, I know that uh, I think one of the online auctions or, or one of the, the, the auction houses sold uh, a PTS orange uh, four liter GT3 RS, um, you know, probably about three or four years ago for 650 or 670 or something like that. My guess is that car may well be a million dollar car today. I think, you know, I think the difference. Um, you know, in in uh, standard color and PTS, you know, might just put one of these over the million dollar mark. All things being equal, you know, this car had something like seventeen hundred miles on it, so it did fall into the freakishly low miles category. But you know, these are these are absolute blue chip cars. Um, you know, anyone who buys any one of these in the the six hundred to eight hundred thousand dollar range right now is is going to be very happy. Yeah, so this car, our friend Jack, and I'll leave his last name out just in case he doesn't want to be, but he takes care or took care of this collection, and he was saying how stunning this car was, and you know I think uh, he he his responsibility is just keep the collection you know moving, and so he's probably put most of the very low miles on it, but he said that mm-hmm. car everywhere you looked it was just perfect. And let's face it, it is a crying shame that this car has only clocked 1,700 miles because, you know, everybody knows. I mean, these cars have a huge reputation because they're amazing to drive. They're look visceral. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, so I don't know. I, you know, part of me hopes that this car was bought by somebody who just said, to hell with it. I'm going to treat it like a new car and I'm going to rack up the miles and I'm going to That's drive the hell happen. out of it. No I know. No one's going to pay 800 and some. I know. You know it and I know it. 
it's a crying <laughs> Not shame. Not going to It really is. All right. I, let's... I mean, am I the only one who feels that way? I mean, do you guys think this car belongs behind a set of velvet ropes? No, I feel the same way. Um, I feel like it should be driven, but I don't think. I mean, for what it is, and I would enjoy it, but I wouldn't track it. I mean, it's just too valuable. If I, I bought it for that much money, I wouldn't drive it. Yeah. You wouldn't even drive it if you bought yeah. it for that amount of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as far as a car, it is a shame that it's not being used for what it really was designed to be. But hey, you know, it's their I was money. Say, so, you yeah. know, I, I hate when people slam other people because they don't track their car. They don't drive their car in anger. Yeah. You know, some people love showing their car. It's yeah. like a piece of art. Exactly. They're transporting this piece of art from one place to the other. God bless them. I get to see the car on a nice field exactly. up close. Otherwise, I may not see a car like this. So, you know, if you drive it on the track, the reality is uh, how many RSs are being driven at driver's eds? Not many. Well, I wasn't even suggesting that, that the owner should drive it on the track. Just drive it because, you know, I think all of us would agree that the worst thing you can do to a car is, is, is let it sit. Mm-hmm. No good happens from a car sitting. And yeah. and I'm afraid that's what's going to happen to this car. It's going to sit. I'm sure it has a handler just like Jack to handle it. Yeah. You know, that Jack put miles maintains on it. it and yep, yep. Yeah, seventeen hundred miles in eleven years. Well, I mean, the airport strip is not that long, so I think he just backed yeah. it out, took it around, got to engine temperature, and then put it back yeah. in. Yeah. So the next one at uh, Broad Arrow Auctions uh, was uh, not night. 2019 GT2 RS Club Sport, the non-street legal car, which this is an right. amazing track car. Um, how did it do? Uh, it didn't. It was a no sale. No sale. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was one of you know one of uh, one of the. Uh, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, the value of the car, and because it's a track only car, it, I think that's a very niche buyer. And there's no. Yeah. I don't think there's any a series you can run this in. I mean, you can run in club racing, but I don't think people are running these in club racing. They're running cup cars. Yeah, uh, I've seen them go up Pikes Peak. A couple of people have used them for that, but I think most people bought them as an investment. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it, you know, did you did you spend time at uh, this was Broad Arrow's first auction? Did you spend time with them? How did how they do? Uh, they did. They did really well. It was a really successful launch of a of you know a brand new company, but with some very very experienced and well known people at the helm. Uh, one of the nicest previews that I've been to. Um, they served lunch to it really. There really wasn't a whole lot of of uh, uh, restriction in terms of who could get in. They served lunch to everybody who showed up. It was very nice. So uh, was there. Much chatter between, uh, you know, Hagerty's purchase of Broad Arrow and um, was it IGM? Did I get that right? Who bought Barry Jackson? I think it's IMG. IMG. Yeah, they're yeah they're an international uh, sports promotion events company, very well known. Yeah, they um, bought I think a fifty a controlling stake in in Barry Jackson uh, on just about the same day that Hagerty. Uh, bought the rest of, of the Broad Arrow group, and there are rumors floating around that uh, uh, another auction company is in the process of being uh, fully acquired. So, yeah, you know, I think that in addition to the one percenters, you know, sort of being bullish on the collector car market right now, the, you know, the entire, you know, financial industry is is bullish on it, you know, given the fact that, um uh, there have been a lot of investments in, in auction companies uh, leading up to this. So the next car was uh, at Bonhams, one of our favorites, a, one of our favorite 996s, a 2004 911 GT3 in black. Right. Another no sale, uh, which was kind of surprising because, you know, these cars are fairly hot right now. It had a pretty... It, uh, what was the reserve, do you know? I uh, don't know what the reserve was, but the pre-sale estimate was 120 to 150, which is pretty strong money. Um, Are you saying it I, didn't get to 120? It did not get to 120. 
Really? Wow. That yeah. surprises me. I understand Honest. the card did sell post-block, but yeah. Bonhams generally doesn't release uh, post-block sale figures, so we I don't know. I think that's a $120,000 car all day long. So I've seen in the Mart in the past year, GT3 is going for less than 100 and I know it's probably not the same, the same condition or level of car, but... You know what? You know what? The reason why? It's black. Right. I was just going to mention that. If and, it wasn't and I black, did see the car. If it was yellow, if it was, you know, Mexico blue, if it was anything else, even that guards just, red or guards red, yeah, it just would pop more. And um, you know, to the untrained eye, this is just another nine nine six, right? Right. And it was a black car in need of some modest paint correction. You know, it could have popped more. I mean, there were there were a lot of factors probably that went into. Uh, why the car was in no sale over the block, but um, I think yeah. that car at a hundred grand. If so, if, hopefully, you know whoever bought it after the no sale bought it for a hundred grand, and I think they got a smoking deal. I think that car I don't think they bought it for a hundred, but uh, you know maybe one twelve to one fifteen somewhere in there. So when we did the video uh, about uh, buying a GT3 on Tech Tactics Live, uh, that was around was that February when we did that. I don't remember. Um, so many videos. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I think the market has climbed even higher. Because back then we were talking about this is uh, should be a hundred thousand dollar car. Right. Right. And mm. uh, I think uh, maybe what you saw in the in the Mart, I don't think you see them anymore. For yeah, maybe not as thousand. much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you do see lower priced ones for those that have been well used at the track. I'll mm-hmm. give it that. But like to find a pristine example for under a hundred or around a hundred, it's pretty mm-hmm. rare. All right. So, uh, well, I, we were there for the Mecham one, our next car, the 73 911 Carrera RS owned by Paul Walker. Man, what a cool experience that was, Manny. Tell us again, Vu, what you did. <laughs> <laughs> You were there right beside me. Pretty much the same experience. Some pictures you can see my forearm. <laughs> but yeah, the timing was just perfect. There you we, go. You can see my arm. There's <laughs> many cell phone. I think he's taking a Instagram reel or something. My but, boss told me to record the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, again, we were just hoping to catch it and go across the block. But we were invited to hammer it. And um, that car went for $975,000. And yep. uh, how how do you react to that, Rob? Uh, I you know I think it had a pre-sale estimate of what was it between nine hundred and one point two million or something. Oh, no, uh, a, I'm sorry, one million and one million two fifty. So okay, yeah. it sold for just a hair below the low end of the pre-sale estimate. So on its face, you know, Manny and and I had talked about this car offline a little bit. It's um. It's a 27RS Touring that's been restored with, with some kind of, you know, custom kind of lightweight touches. I think the wheels are probably uh, sevens and eights instead of sixes and sevens. Uh, it's got the fiberglass rear bumpers of a, of a lightweight. Um, not sure it was born with the Pepita seats. Uh, but it was, you know, very much restored to, to uh, the owner's taste. It's fine, um, but it's, you know, it's not you know, an entirely correct 27RS touring. You know, that said, without the Paul Walker provenance, I guess you might expect this car to, to you know, sell for somewhere in the sixes. So, um, you know, the Paul Walker connection added, uh, you know, another three $350,000 to the result. So this is a second series car. Um, yeah. I, uh, so there's a new owner. It's kind of forced to keep it the same because of the uh, Paul Walker provenance, uh, or do they correct all the uh, incorrections and bring it back to its true uh, touring state? I think you leave it as is. I would. You know, I personally happen to like the way it's presented. I think the wheels look cool. Um, you know, I like the the sand. You know, uh, finish. You know, the RSR finish on the wheels. Um, I think Manny, this would have had sixes and sevens, right? Uh, as a as a correct uh, yes. touring, and this yeah. is these actually this looks like they're even wider than sevens and eights. What's on it right now? It looks really good. I mean, I don't I, think that finish is original. No, I don't think so. It's an RSR but, type finish. Yeah, yeah. But if I were doing a 
you know, uh, you know, a, a fresh build, I might very well do it this way. I like light yellow. I like the wheels. I like the fiberglass rear bumpers and, and, you know, rear valance. Um, you know, I think it's a cool car. I like the seats with the, the PETA inserts. Um, I like the lack of the deco strip on the, the bumpers. You know, I, it just, this car works for me. I mean, it may not work for a Concord judge, but, but, you know, I, I freaking love it. I think it's gorgeous. Uh, like you said, many of the, the changes that he made or had made to the yeah. car, I think it, it had much eye appeal. The yellow just popped as it came across the stage. And it was interesting to see, um, the, you know, the estimates between 1 million and 1.2. And it's all kind of a blur for me, but I believe when they got to about 900, they were looking at the, the owner or whoever was responsible of releasing it and saying that, you know, reserve has been lifted. Like you just feel the room, just like, you know, just the, the, the aura around the car. And they're like, that means this car is going home with somebody. It was, it was really yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a cool car. Just give me a moto pro, a Momo prototypo wheel and, and I'm good. I'd leave it as is. Yeah. All right, so let's go to the next one from uh, another one from Arm Sotheby's, a 1995 928. Oh, we did that one. Yeah, I think that's all of them. Is that all of them? Oh, no. Yeah. We have to talk about the, um, I'm sorry, um, Sally, Sally Special. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it, that was really special. Um, our good friend Jay Ward uh, and his colleague Bob Pauly uh, we're, we're sort of the, the, uh, uh, the creative talents behind this. It's a, obviously a, a new 992, but it's done up as an homage to, uh, Sally Carrera from the, the original Cars movie. And, you know, the attention to detail is really cool. I mean, it goes beyond the, the fantastic blue and black Pepita seats, the Sally blue paint. They did these, I think they're 21 inch wheels. This modern day take on on uh, hollow spoke turbo twists, uh, and the car and, and those wheels are, are one offs too. I think they made a second set for the owner, uh, but that's that's all, uh, and it's just it was fantastic looking. You know, we so, all got to spend a lot of time in and around it, and uh, absolutely beautiful car. That, yeah, there was uh, a lot of people Jay who, and Bob uh, put together who, who commented that uh, they were like, "How can somebody pay that much for a GTS?" and you know, it's so overpriced, and I think they really missed the whole uh, purpose of this car in this auction. It was for charity, mm-hmm. um, right? Obviously, exactly. no one's going to pay that three point six million for a normal GTS, especially a brand new one. Um, but this was a, uh, you know, like uh, Rob said, a one-off with uh, Pixar Studios and Disney involved, and uh, it was for charity. You know, yeah. that's a big message they were trying to send out during the auction was uh lives will be changed with this money you know yeah. you're going to make a difference in many people's lives and i think that's why it transcended what the value of the car was yeah a mode i just uh-huh. noticed that i didn't yeah. see that when i was with the car that's i, I mean, mean that's what the 3.6 million the in the car very well before the auction um it was you know kind of right up front everybody could see it and the the color um the sally special blue pops so much yeah. in the sunlight it's hard to capture in photos it's it, yeah. it's a pretty color in photos but when you see it in person it's almost electric yeah it's yeah. really amazing it in the look, car it looks better in like noon sun yeah than it does in the shade absolutely it's one of those rare yeah. colors yep and it's got yep. so many Easter eggs around the car. Um, you open the hood, there's the who's who has signed this car. And yep. as Manny said, it was for a good cause. And probably the, you know, I got a little starstruck because Bonnie Hunt was there and she was standing and I'm like, there's a creator of the, the project. There's a creator of the car's characters. There's a voice of Sally Carrera. Like they, they just had it all. And then when they, yeah. before they present the car, they talked about um, where the money was going, you know, for women yeah, and children. Yeah, refugee relief. Refugees, somewhere. exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was like they they laid it out and presented it perfectly. And when the bidding passed a million, I think everybody in the crowd was just like, how far is this going to go? Simply a lot amazing. further, as it turns out. Yeah, yeah. But everybody involved with it is is just wonderful. I mean, we all know Jay really well, and he's just 
an amazing human and uh, Bob Pauly is longtime uh, creative collaborator, just a fantastic guy. And, and they just really did a wonderful job for some very, very wonderful charities. Yeah. And I, I believe PCNA mentioned that this project was the largest social media reach for anything that they've done to this point, which is wow. amazing. Wow. Right. Yeah. So, and uh, also, don't we have a video game coming up with uh, Boris? Yeah, it was supposed to yeah. be done um, yesterday or today, but that's going to be finished up later this week. So by the time you listen to this, it will be up on our YouTube channel. Yeah. And we should explain to listeners who Boris is. Um, you probably know him the best of all of us, right? So he's the head of exclusive manufacturer. So when you're doing PTS or anything exclusive options, uh, he's the gentleman that, uh, you know, he and his team, it's, it's almost like going to a candy factory. And if you were to build your own car and you want to wish something, um, colors, finishes, design, stamps, everything you would want to customize in your car, his team has the ability to figure it out. Yeah. And we should yep. mention that uh, Grant Larson actually made an appearance in the video, and, and his spot is actually a bit longer. So we we get a very in-depth look from Porsche Exclusives' viewpoint, as well as Style Porsche, which Grant Larson is the head of. Yeah, uh, Boris yeah. is no longer, uh, you know, anonymous. It used to be you could walk around with him, and you know, no one uh, knew who he was, but it seemed like this time... Anywhere we went with them, every uh, few steps, someone would stop and uh, talk to them. And I got a, I got a feeling that as people who uh, have cars on order, who want something from exclusive, who have a question, and Boris is very generous with his time, and he'll just sit there and tell, answer all their questions and give them his business card. But uh, it was a lot different this time than a few years back. So can I let our <clears throat> listeners in on a little secret? Um Boris and Grant, a lot of the folks at PAG um, are accessible, and it's amazing that they are. But don't go up to them and ask them about production numbers and why your local dealer is charging a market adjustment price. Like, come on. And and it, and the reason why I bring it up, because it happens so much, and I feel so sorry for them, because... You should be having a much better conversation with them and getting some insight into the design and what's the future of Porsche. They're not going to, they don't have anything to do with production and or what your dealer charges. So save your breath on that, those kind of questions and comments and, you know, ask them about design, ask them about colors and features and stuff like that. So just a little tip for uh, the Porsche Club Insider folks. Yeah, they're, they're, they've got so many stories. And if you just, like Boo said, start talking to them about it, you're going to hear so many stories you probably never heard of or read about. Um, they're very uh, open with uh, the, the uh, process of either manufacturing or design. And uh, if you're a Porsche geek like me, that's uh, gold. Absolutely. So upcoming events. We are, you know, some of you are heading out tomorrow morning, right? Heading to Sports Guard Together Day, and I will join you first thing Thursday morning. We've got Jeff Gordon and a special, uh, when will this be released? So this will be, will be afterwards, right? So, um, we will have an hour with uh, Jeff Gordon signing autographs in the Porsche plots that we manage. So that'll be cool. That's going to be wild. And I think, uh, I think their ticket sales increased, uh, a good I'm sure it did hmm. because of the announcement that Jeff is Jeff and uh, his crew chief are coming out of retirement to uh, run this one race. So I think a lot of NASCAR fans are coming just to see uh, Jeff. And I'm sure uh, the opportunity to have something signed is a lot easier at this event than uh, the Brickyard 400. It's so, always fun to see what a NASCAR driver or drivers from different disciplines do in a a type of racing that they're not used to. So this will be a fun time. Uh, we all know Jeff Gordon can drive road courses, but still, it's been a while, and he's not in a NASCAR. 
And almost equally as exciting, they have this race called the Ragnar race, which is a bunch of runners. And uh, myself and Aaron Ambrosino are going to be running in it. So <laughs> expect really, to see. You entered it? <laughs> entered is a strong word. I will be there in tennis shoes and shorts and walking, running in the same direction as everyone. Damon, we're going to have to buy a six-pack of beer <laughs> and sit up on a hill and turn one and just... Laugh and <laughs> just yeah. laugh. As I get a cup of water, fill it with beer, and then hand it to you. Know, <laughs> hey, that's fine. Or hot um, coffee. So. They, yeah, they were looking for participants, and uh, I'm, I'm myself and Aaron were be representing PCA. How's that? Good or bad. <laughs> Good or bad. <laughs> All right, and uh, we come back from sports car together day, and the following week we have the open house here. And some uh, surprising news is we will have the classic club coupe here. And uh, that'll be amazing to have it. What I feel is like have, having it coming home because uh, it hasn't seen, you know, this garage since it left as a, you know, basic broken 996 that we had found at the dealership. And now it's going to come home and it's, it's Did it gorgeous. ever come into the garage? Yeah. Yeah. You got pictures of it? Yeah. Oh, that'd yeah. be cool. To, yep. Yep. Absolutely. So we're all going to get to take turns thrashing it on New Cut Road? Nope. <laughs> you, can, you can't even sit in it. I might not even let you sit in it. <laughs> I don't want you to mess up the seats. You can stand next to it and dream. Our National Secretary Todd Ben's got to put uh, probably about three miles on it at the golf course. No, he didn't. He just drove it to the truck. <laughs> it's all private roads. Yeah. He just like drove it to the truck to load it up. Um, and then we'll, we'll be, uh, preparing for Unstock. As we mentioned in the last podcast, we'll be at, uh, West Coast Customs, uh, headquarters in Burbank, California, November 13th. And at, uh, Mecham, we ran, I think we mentioned also in the last, uh, podcast that we ran into Chris Jacobs. He's a PCA member, huge Porsche fan. If you're not familiar with Chris Jacobs, he's the host. He does, um, overhauling with Chip boost and he's done another uh number of uh car shows and hopefully he's going to be there and uh, if he if he attends then maybe we'll do a chris jacobs favorite pick of unstock and he seemed to be very excited about that but of course um he'll need to check his schedule and such uh as the time that you listen to this we have dropped the unstock announcement video one mile review of the 718 Cayman and um, the podcast, the last podcast, the Monterey Adventures. Exactly. So you've got some pretty good traction on the 718 Cayman video. Oh, have I? It's been so busy. I haven't looked at the views in, in a few days. He can't hide anything. He can't hide it. No, no, I can't. Oh, were they looking them. at me? How many views does it have? Were they talking about me? Uh, I, I think it's at like three, three, oh. four thousand. I mean, it's not, not as much as yours. It's not Manny and Vu level yet. Oh, it's but... past Manny level. <laughs> I don't know about Vu level, but yeah. Uh, well, we should mention actually the uh, uh, by now our next one mile review will be out, and it's on a 1958 356 Speedster owned oh. by a, a local out here, Mister Bill Tate. Yep, and he daily drove it for. A long time, bought it when it was super cheap, I believe. He's mm-hmm. modified it a little bit, still drives it. Um, drives it all the time. All the time. And we've added a new rating, uh, partly based on your feedback, that there's something missing. So we're adding Fun Factor in addition to Car Show, Daily Driver, and Road Trip. Um, you know, what we found was some cars that maybe would be awesome to drive but maybe aren't the best car show cars or daily drivers or road trippers they're scoring a little bit lower than they probably should and we're not able to say what it excels in which is it's super fun to drive yeah exactly so we have a new rating so going forward um there will be four ratings including fun factor oh speaking of um announcing of new things manny you want to share your idea with the um the the car that we did at at speed sort of that series that we're looking into. Oh, I guess we're, so we're preparing for, uh, for rents for a union. In fact, uh, Melanie told me that the, uh, general mission tickets are coming up for sale in September, maybe September 20th. We're, we're going to put a, uh, an announcement on our webpage. Um, the general mission tickets, at least 
will be on sale. So anyways, uh, you know, we, we talked about this in Monterey about creating a series called a road to Rensport and featuring, uh, race cars that you'll probably see at Rensport or very similar to them. So the first one's going to be this 914 6 GT. We talk about the history of the car, the importance, what made it different than a regular street car. And, uh, we have some other cars lined up and maybe once a month or something along those lines and get people, uh, better equipped who have never come to rent sport and may not appreciate these cars. We were were also talking about this with uh, Pebble Beach. I said, I need someone to walk with me around these pre-war cars because I don't really appreciate what they are because I don't know what is significant about them. But if someone could uh, tell me this is why this car is so uh, interesting, it really changes it. So we're planning to do the same thing with, uh, with the road to rent sport. All right. So with that, thanks for listening. If you aren't currently a PCA member and you own a Porsche, go ahead and grab that VIN and sign up at PCA.org. If you're looking for a Porsche, join our test drive program and we'll help you find find one to put in your garage. Remember to follow the podcast Instagram page, see behind the scenes photos and videos, Porsche Club Insider, all one word. You can always message or email us at podcast at PCA.org. Until next time, stay safe and we'll catch you down the road.